I ask these rhetorical questions sometimes, knowing that everybody in here has been in this situation at one point in time. But have, how, how many of you have ever been in a situation where you get cornered by the person at work or the office or the school or wherever that talks a lot? <laughs> They seek you out and they find you. You're the only one there. There's like there's no one to push them off on, and you're there, right? And you're stuck in the situation. Uh, now you have to pretend you are interested until there's a moment to escape, right? I went on a road trip one time. That means there's no escape. Uh, I was in the back seat with, uh, and it was like four cars. We went up to a, a camping trip. Uh, it was just a bunch of college kids. Uh, and we went, we left in the evening. And I thought that would make a good, but I got, I got in the back, I was in the back seat with, in one vehicle. And there's a, a girl, and she, she talked a lot. Um, we went from Ottumwa, Iowa to War Road, Minnesota. You don't know where either of those places are. Well, you know where Ottumwa is. War Road, Ottumwa, Iowa is in like southern, southern Iowa. You're like almost, to Missouri. War Road, Minnesota, you can actually literally, literally throw a rock into Canada. So this is a long trip. Uh, and I thought being overnight, I would be able to escape. She talked the whole night. And there was a, it came a point where I was not even pretending to be interested anymore. I was looking out the window. She just kept on going. She just, just, I, I was just, I just needed I, I didn't need to be alive, I guess. I don't know. Um, sometimes this gets embarrassing where <clears throat> at some point in the conversation, you are expected to answer something that would have required you to have been paying attention. Right? And you need to recall a detail, and now you kind of either got to fake it which is typically what you do. Or you can't go, I'm sorry, you know what? I've just been nodding my head for the last nine minutes. You can't say that. Right? You want to. That's really what you should say. That would be the truth. So you try to say something general, and it's, it's obvious that, that you, know, you haven't been paying attention. And it's embarrassing. You're mixed up in the conversation, and you kind of feel justified. It's like, isn't that really my fault? Which brings us to the Apostle Paul. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is the master of the run-on sentence. Now, the verse that the text we're going to read covers 12 verses. It is one sentence. That's a long sentence. Ephesians chapter 1. So as a result of this, this text gets confused a lot. We go reading through it, and we're like, ah, and we're halfway through the conversation here with Paul, and we kind of don't really know. And so a lot of people, at some point in time, they're trying to make some points and trying to recall some things about this text, and um, it's obvious that it was difficult to pay attention. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 1, we're <clears throat> not going to read the whole first chapter. We're going to start in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God... Now, I'm going to have to do this. 
this is a run-on sentence. I don't know if you're sure about this version. Some versions have, have been merciful to us, and they threw a period and made it into two sentences. Uh, so depending on the version you have, you might say, well, this kind of stops, and there's a, there's a period there, but that's not actual, actually real. Uh, it's, just, it's just someone who's trying to be nice. But it says, Blessed be the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, which he made us accepted in the beloved in him, in whom, and some say in him, Period. Nice. Thank you for at the end of verse 6. But in him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made us uh, to abound towards us, or made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his goodwill according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and on earth, in him, in whom we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory, in whom you trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchase possession to the praise of his glory." Thank you. (laughs) You get through that, it's like, man, we could have just restructured that a little bit and just made that little bite-sized pieces. That would have been a lot easier to understand. And so so a lot of people just kind of read this real quick, and there are a lot of understandings of this passage and a lot of things spoken about what this is. I want to talk a little bit, and we're going to be talking about some of those misconceptions I want to talk about the history of predestination and this concept of predestination a little bit. It's a boring topic, I know. Uh, We often attribute this to a guy by the name of John Calvin. But it didn't really begin with John Calvin. It began with a man by the name of Augustine. Calvin kind of fleshed it out. and John Calvin was a pretty logical guy. And so Augustine had come up with some basic ideas. And and John Calvin basically came along. He said, you know, um, if that is true, then what about this? And and, and these are the questions I have if this is true. Uh, Augustine's points, basic uh, Calvinism, what we call Calvinism, came from Augustine's two basic ideas. That um, we are basically bad people. We're born bad. We're just bad. And, and so, as a result of that, uh, God had to predestine us. And, and, and this certainly talks about predestination. We're going to talk about what is predestined. So we're predestined. We're going to come back to Augustine in just a moment. And so Calvin, John Calvin said, well, okay, if this is true, then, then I have some questions. He had three basic questions that he added. And so there were five, ended up with five basic concepts of, of Calvinism. Uh, so, so Calvin's logic says, okay, if it's unconditional, if, if I am unconditionally selected, because I'm totally bad, I can't choose. That was Augustine's point. I can't choose. I'm, I'm completely bad. How can I choose to do something good if I'm completely bad? So Calvin said, if it is unconditional and we're totally evil, 
How do we get grace? How do we get there? It must be irresistible. It must be, and so he had this idea called irresistible grace. In other words, just somehow you can't prevent it if you wanted to. You're just going to accept it. Okay? Well, if it is unconditional, and then some are predestined, why why isn't everyone saved? Because everyone isn't saved. So he came up with the thing said. Limited atonement. Limited atonement. That means there's only so many people that God's going to let get into heaven. Okay. Then he asked the question, because some people, they become Christians, and then they leave the church, and some people who leave the church come back to church. That's happened. You've known people that did that, right? And then, and um, so let's. we have to explain that now. Because were they... Predestined or weren't they predestined? It was like, I'm predestined to anyone, and I left. It must not have been predestined, and that's what he basically he came up with. Is in a, and he's, he said, well, this is called the, the perseverance of the saints. And that means if you're a saint and you were, you were really, you have this irresistible grace, you'll, you'll fall away for a time, but, but you'll come back because it's irresistible. You can't, you can't get away from it, uh, and so you will persevere. You have this perseverance of the saints. And, and, and God, through this, will test who's the, the pretenders, and they'll just kind of fall away. And so that's Calvinism. But I want to back up to Augustine really quick. Where does this all come about? Well, it came about by a man reading a run-on sentence with a background. A man who uh, came from paganism. And by the 400s, when Augustine became a Christian... Paganism was losing its, um, it was losing its I don't know, position, I guess, in the Greek world. But it still kind of had, it still kind of had, um, it, it didn't have all of the religion. They didn't believe in Zeus and all that by then. But they still had all these little pieces of it that, that they still held on to, these basic ideas. Like they were left with the, the lifestyle practice. And so, uh, for example, there's the thing, and if you studied Greek mythology and you like mythology, there was these three sisters called the Fates. Ever heard of them? <clears throat> the Fates. And uh, there were three sisters, and uh, in the Greek mythology, of course, again, by, by, the, by the year 400, they didn't believe in the, these three sisters, but they held on to the idea, the basic lifestyle concept. And so the, the, the three, these three sisters had thread, and, and they spun, and the, the thread they spun was your life. And so one woman dispensed the thread. That was your birth. That was the symbol of your birth. Another one sewed it together and spun it. Right? And, and that was your life. And so she determined your life. And then another one cut it off. Well, we kind of know what that was. Right? So, so everything from, from, from birth, the Greeks believed that these three sisters, everything from the moment of your birth up until your death was predestined. And this is the idea which Augustine comes to Ephesians chapter 1 with and reads this, and now you can see why he goes, huh, this is his interpretation. This is what he has given us today based on a pagan background. He read Ephesians 1 and came to some wrong conclusions. So we are going to go through very briefly try to get through this passage phrase by phrase if we can and understand what's predetermined and what's not predetermined. 
Well, I want to ask one question before we do that. Why, why go through all of this if we all agree? If we, I don't think there's any Calvinist in here. Maybe there is. And I'm, I, did, I, I missed somebody, and I, I, I didn't know your background. And um, <clears throat> Why go through all this? Well, sometimes, um, well, the fact is sometimes we don't all agree. So I don't know everything that everybody thinks. Um, we agree in, on some things, and we disagree on others. Another thing is that I don't know who believes in a thing but has always wanted to know why I believe in such a thing. Why do we not believe this? This seems pretty convincing here. And then there's people who, okay, I kind of know what I believe, and I'm not ever, I don't think that sounds logical, but how do I convince other people that I come into contact with? Because this is a popular idea. This concept of Calvinism and predestination is a popular idea in our religious world. So how do I answer that, but we can answer them straight from this chapter. This chapter does not say what people want it to say. So we're going to begin here. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. This is pretty easy. It start pretty easy, doesn't it? <clears throat> and yet this is one of the hardest statements to rely on. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing blessing. Well, we sometimes like backup plans. Don't you like a backup plan? Just in case that doesn't go. Now this is, nope, there's no backup plans. I have given you every spiritual blessing. There aren't any other spiritual blessings out there in any other philosophy, in any other thing. I have blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Another thing that this um kind of brings out is that God's not really high on, uh, or I, I should say, uh, physical blessings are not high on God's priority list. I'm not saying he doesn't bless us physically, but what's really important to God are the spiritual blessings. Listen to the prayer lists and the prayer requests. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for physical things, but look on the back of the bulletin and, and see what's important to us. What is important to us are the physical blessings, health, and all those things. And God says, listen, I've blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Let's be focused on the spiritual blessings. I, again, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for physical things. And, and there are some, some horrible things that people suffer. But notice, as you look at the back of that list, the difference between what's important to me and what's important to God. God says, I have blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because those are so much more important. And so, he says, in the same way he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. In each of these phrases, because it's, a, it's all these phrases thrown together, right? And it's this big run-on sentence. Sometimes our emphasis is on the wrong syllable. Right? Sometimes we, 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 we look at this word and we want to put this word and make that the one we emphasize. And that's not the one that needs to emphasize. And if we would uh, put the emphasis on the right word or the right phrase in these, we would get the right understanding. You ever, we do this in texts and emails and you're like, you ever get upset with somebody? I'm like, Huh? I wasn't saying that. 
Oh, I emphasized the wrong phrase. I don't understand tone of voice in an email or a text. So in text, it's hard to do. It says, in the same way he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. And, and, and people who believe in Calvinism, they, they subtract one very, very important phrase. And the way they read this is, in the same way he has chosen us before the foundation of the world. Whoa, back up. There's an important phrase in there that, that, that we need to understand that explains this as he has chosen us in him. That's the phrase to be emphasized because it describes how we were chosen. It describes the process of this predestination. It is not an arbitrary selection, but it points to the method that he's using. It has to do with being in Christ. If I said next Sunday, everybody who is here will get a million dollars. First of all, you'd know that I was lying. But I would have predetermined the group, haven't I? People who are here. Have I predetermined the individuals? No. That depends on you. Will you be here next Sunday morning to find out that I'm lying? Right? I have predetermined a group. It's chosen through a method. And yet the individuals are not pre-selected. We're chosen in Christ. Those who are in Christ are predestined, predetermined. So God predetermined a group, not an individual. I want to talk about what about us was predetermined. What about me was predetermined? Because there's a couple of things in here. He says, again, this run-on sentence. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that, in order to do what? Or to be what? In order that we should be holy and without blame. That's what was predetermined. He predetermined a concept. He predetermined what he wanted me to be. It, again, was not arbitrary. It was a moral character. It was a holy lifestyle. It was an attitude of love. According to the good pleasure of his will. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Having predestined to us... Uh, to adoption as sons. And here's another thing that was predetermined. This was predetermined. That we were going to be adopted. That was what was predetermined. The process of adoption as children by Jesus Christ to himself. Again, we come to this concept, by Jesus Christ. And throughout every, virtually every phrase in here, it points back to Jesus Christ. And what have we seen? Uh, that all blessings are in Christ Jesus that he has chosen us in him, in Christ. Here we see it being adopted as children by Jesus. Everything is by Jesus. The emphasis in this chapter is not on those who are predestined. The emphasis is always on Christ. The process of adoption, not the individual's but making us children because we were not naturally his children. Because 
We got lost. And God had to bring us back by a process of adoption. The vehicle, if you will, to get us back. The method. And I want to talk extensively about God's involvement. Because that's really where this passage spends its time. He says it's according to the good pleasure of his will. It's not arbitrary. It's a will. It's a plan. Not just good pleasure. He didn't say according to his good pleasure. He doesn't finish there. That would be arbitrary. But he says according to the good pleasure of his will. It is generous, but it is based on concepts. He says, to the praise, in fact, he will use this phrase several times throughout here. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. In other words, what is given honor in this plan of predestination? The process of grace, not the process of an arbitrary decision. But it is his plan. It is his concepts of this that deserve honor for his generosity. Grace has made us accepted in the beloved. Again, where's the emphasis? Christ. In whom we have redemption through his blood. And here's again God's involvement through Christ. And through his blood, as Guy mentioned this morning, according to the riches of his grace, it is redemption through his blood. And now he identifies the method, the plan is based upon this concept, Christ's blood. It's understandable. It's identifiable. Adoption, grace, God's will, they've all been up to this point referred to generally. But now... It is given specifics. Christ's blood is the component of predestination. It is the component of adoption. How we become his children. Now, if things are done by arbitrary choice, <clears throat> there is no discussion of mechanism. Right? We've all done this. Anybody who is a parent has said at some point in time, because I said so. Right? <laughs> I've done it. There's no need to explain why. There's no mechanism. Because I want it this way. That's why. When I say that, I'm saying there's no need to explain to you why. And that's good for a certain age. At some point, we tell why. When Paul says, and this is so huge of an idea here, when Paul says through his blood, he's giving the explanation of the mechanism. And that demands that it is not arbitrary choice because he would just say, because I said so. You're saved. Why? Because I said so. But he didn't say because I said so. He said because of Christ's blood, he gives the mechanism. It is not an arbitrary choice. Wherein he has abounded towards us in all wisdom 
and prudence. This even underscores, beginning at this phrase, Calvinism comes completely apart. Because Paul says, listen, it can be understood, it can be explained. It's not arbitrary. Arbitrary things can't be explained. I sat one time, this is just completely random. I sat one time, and me and a friend were really bored, and we were playing a game of war. It was hot summer, and we didn't want to go outside. So we were playing a game of war. His dad happened to be home that day and was explaining to us the strategy of war. You ever played war? It's completely random. Whoever flips over a card and it's the tallest one, or the highest one, that wins. That's, that's the strategy. He was explaining to us the strategy of war. There's no strategy. You flip a card, someone wins. No strategy. He says that this grace has abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence. It can be explained. It's not random. Calvinism says, why is grace limited? Because I said so. There is no explanation. There is nothing. There is no wisdom. There is no prudence that can explain Calvinism or Augustinianism. It just is. How do saints persevere? What makes them come back? Just happens. No explanation. Just happens. And so we see that eventually once you start investigating all the individual phrases of this run-on sentence, it doesn't say what people want it to say. It only comes to us. Grace only comes to us through understanding. It doesn't come to us by some magic. It can be explained and it can be understood. He says, having made known to us, and again, this repeats the same idea, having made known to us the mystery of his will. He had a plan, and now it's revealed. It was a mystery. In the Old Testament, it was not understood. We've read passages that talk about how the prophets wanted to look into it, and how the angels wished they could understand it. But he has now made known the mystery of his will and his good purpose. Hmm. His purpose, there's a purpose behind it. There's a plan behind it. There's an idea. And it can be understood. And so I want to look finally at the objective of predestination. He says that in the dispensation, oh, big, uh, big word, big word, um, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one thing, or in one group, I guess, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Let's... Take that phrase by phrase, I guess. Dispensation is the word from which we get economy from. Same word. It's an economic word. It means to manage your household affairs. That's what it means. In managing your household affairs, you dispense things. Especially if you have teenagers. Dad, we dispense. Need money for ice cream sauce. 
We manage our household affairs. And so God dispenses things. He dispensed things under the Old Testament a certain way. And it's now the New Testament. It's a new dispensation. It's a kind of a new economy we have, if you think of it that way. And he has dispensed it a little bit differently. He says now he's gathered everything together. There's Jews, there's Gentiles. It's all, he dispenses to everybody now, not just the teenagers. Now, when he says things that were in heaven, I don't know what that means. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't know what that means. Is he including the angels? Uh, one, one that I liked, an uh, explanation that I liked that made sense was that the spiritual principles of heaven were understood. Prior, prior to that, under the, under the old law, there were just very basic physical principles. Just don't do that, and don't do that, and don't do that. Why? Because I said so. Okay? That, that's the way the Old Testament was. Because I said so. In the New Testament, he sums everything together not just people, but, but ideas. And he has revealed that mystery, as he said. And it all comes together in the New Testament. That's the objective of predestination. To make it all come together to be one picture. You ever watch, uh, you got to be really bored. I've talked about how bored I was uh, as a kid on Saturdays at my grandparents' house. And... You know, I guess I got to go out, but I don't really want to go outside and play. Uh, and so there was Bob Ross. There was Bob Ross, and 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 he would paint a. I could never get through a whole painting. I could, I could never do that. I was I wasn't that bored. Um, but it was kind of interesting to see. You know, uh, like they start doing something. You're like, that's this is not going to be a picture. This is there's no way that's going to be a painting. And it, it all comes together somehow, some way. It just all comes together. And he knows what he's doing beforehand, and so before he can do that, he's got to do this. If you know how to paint the masterpiece, and God knows how to paint the masterpiece. And so he started painting and, and putting little things here and little things there, and he sums it all up when the time was right. According, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will after his own ideas he was working everything together so that we and we see it again so that we should be to the praise of his glory we should be to the praise of his glory we as Christians are the ones that he said I want these people to be the ones that Give honor to my plan. How do we do that? By living the lifestyle that he planned. It, we are the painting. It's not just a system of ideas. It was built on ideas. But what God was really painting was people. And say, I want you to be, when people look at the masterpiece... The church, and say, it was according to this plan. And these ideas, look at how amazing grace is. Look what it does in the lives of people. That's what was predestined. 
God didn't say Andrew Green is going to be a Christian and there's nothing he can do about it. So that poor sucker over there, you're out. That's not praise. That's There's no glory there. The glory is that someone taught me Someone invested time in me. And I responded to a plan, to a system of ideas and concepts and principles, and it changed my life and God's painted something. In whom also after that, he says, you believed and you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. See, predestination, you're sealed, you can't lose it. And that's the other idea of, of you'll persevere. We have this perseverance of the saints. It's not what it says. Anybody who's signed a contract and put a down payment on something, you've all done it. You can lose your down payment. You can lose your down payment. The Holy Spirit is a down payment for what you're going to get. You're going to get the whole thing. But there's some clauses, isn't there? There's some things that you have to... Well, you got a deposit on your apartment. Yeah, it's got to look a certain way when you leave. <laughs> Otherwise, you lose your deposit. Your deposit can be rolled into a full payment. Into the whole thing. It can be rolled forward into that. It's just a down payment. Here on this planet, you get a little taste. Just a little bit of seeing what a relationship with God can be eternally. And you have that opportunity this morning to have a little bit. You're not guaranteed anything. It's a guarantee, but you aren't guaranteed. It's a guarantee that God will keep his end of the bargain. It's not a guarantee that you will keep your end of the bargain. The contract isn't fulfilled. You don't get it back. You don't get the full payment. You have an opportunity this morning to be to the praise of His glory, to respond to that message. Whether it's the first time or whether it's something you responded to a long time ago. And you get a notice in the mail. I get these notices in the mail all the time. Your warranty is about to expire. All the time. I don't have a warranty. What are you talking about? Your warranty is about to expire. Do you need to do something to keep that warranty? To keep the terms current? The Holy Spirit is a guarantee of God's faithfulness. And we are predestined as a people. Make sure that you are doing your job to be to the praise of his glory.